Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. everyone. Thank you for attending this, the last session of the 2020 Nashville Conference. My name is Tom. I'm a recovering sexaholic. I'm getting in trouble. Uh, my, <laughs> so we are blessed to close out this conference with uh, five folks that have shared so much of their experience, strength, and hope with us. We have Lee T., Harvey A., David M., Dave H. and Mike C. And thank you so much for doing this. It's going to be a panel about it keeps getting better. And they swear to me that that's the truth. So they're going to share about five minutes with us about their experiences. And then we're going to take questions. So there's, there's pens and paper down there. And you're welcome to write a question to this panel. And we'll read them all. I'll start by just getting us through our panel guide. In the spirit of the fifth tradition, to carry the message, this is a recorded session. The recording equipment will not be turned off during the session. We ask that you please silence all cell phones. Let's open with a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer. Serenity prayer. God, grant me serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. All right, this meeting is being live streamed, audio only, over the World Wide Web. If you do not wish to participate in the live stream, you're welcome to remain silent. If you choose to share, we ask that you sit in the designated chair or write down your question, and we'll be happy to hand it to the people at the microphone. Please do not touch the microphone or any other audio equipment. To all of you who are here, we thank you for helping us carry the message to those that would otherwise never enjoy a convention experience. All right, I'm going to go ahead and pass it off to Mike C. I'm back by popular demand. I was, I was told this morning that people wanted another 45 minutes from me. These guys are just window dressing. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Um, no, he's not. <laughs> I'm Mike, recovering sexaholic. Glad I'm here sober today through God's grace and new people, sober since June 3rd of 84. Um, it's a pleasure to be up here with these guys um, it keeps getting better. You know, the only thing I can really think of on that topic, um, other than what I had to say last night, is that uh, when I was going through a, a rough time in, in my sobriety in the 90s, a, a guy in another fellowship that I'm in uh, came up to me after a meeting and he said, you know, everybody tells you it gets better. And he said, sometimes it gets better and it, sometimes it gets worse. 
He said, but you keep getting better regardless of whether it gets better or not if you keep working this program. And that really helped me because it was a time where I was like, I was sober, I, you know, I wasn't doing anything that I'd be embarrassed to tell you about for the most part other than the day-to-day foibles of being a married man whose name Mike C. But, um, you know, uh, I'd had a couple of big deaths in my family and I, I was kind of in a, a down place and... Uh, I kept hearing it gets better, and, and then this guy had the, the, the kindness to tell me, well, maybe right now it doesn't seem like it's getting better, but you're, you're still gonna, you're still gonna get better if you just keep at this. Um, cause for me, there's, there's times in my sobriety that seem, it seems pretty easy, frankly, after 30 some years. Uh, not many of those, but there's times. Um, and there's other times where it's going along okay, and there's other times where, you know, things are, are really rough. You know, I mentioned last night my cousin dying, uh, in 2017, and seven years before that basically being a shadow of the guy he used to be. That just rocked my world, believe it or not, for seven straight years. And then when he died, I thought I'd be kind of relieved. I wasn't. I was just, I was just sad. So, I don't know if it was getting better, but I kept getting better through it because I learned during those seven years, like I said last night, just how to go visit, go visit him twice a month. You know, I treated it like going to church. I just, or my meetings. I just, on Wednesday night, if I'm home in Chicago and the Cubs aren't in the playoffs, uh, I, I, I go to my meeting. I don't think about it. On Sunday, I go to church. I don't think about it. Um, and I went to see my cousin and I learned that from you guys and and he wasn't getting better it wasn't getting better but I kept getting better somehow because I kept working this thing so um, that's really all I got uh, for now Uh, I'm David I'm a recovering sexaholic and uh, by the grace of God and this fellowship and you people I've been sexually sober since August 1st 1985 something for which I am frequently but never sufficiently grateful. A um, bunch of thoughts went through my head. I'll just tell, tell you how they came. Uh, the first thought was, being on a panel with these guys, I'm not going to get a word in edgewise. <laughs> That's that w- a really good point, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> so that was number one. N- number two was, I don't belong here. Yeah, I don't belong here. That's a really bad point. And, uh, <laughs> Sorry. So... So those, that's, that's kind of me in a nutshell. You know, I talked about fear yesterday that, uh, you know, that, that, uh, it, it, it's the core of, you know, all the stuff that I've struggled with. And, you know, um, you know, we had our first conference in Nashville, uh, in 19, um, 1990. And I know that because, uh, a guy sitting to the right of me, uh, said, you need to be the, uh, uh, conference chair. I think you'd be good at it. And, uh, and we met down the road here at the, at the Holiday Inn, and and uh, you know I was I, uh, my friend Judson, who can't be with here, uh, can't be with us today. I was hope, hoping that he might be. Um, you know, we've talked to each. He was the first guy that called me at work with with a for a support call, and it scared the crap out of me. You know, I, I work in an open office environment, and here's this guy calling me in the middle of the day in a place where everybody that I work with could hear what I was saying. And it just, you know, I freak, freaked me out. You know, I soon learned that I could go to a conference room and call him back or what. I didn't have a cell phone back then. Um, 
So, um, you know, we, he, he lives in Seattle now. He, he lived in Nashville when I moved here, uh, 30 years ago. And, and, uh, he calls me almost every day on his way to work, usually after a 6.30 meeting in Seattle. So it's 8.30 in, in Nashville. And uh, over the years, we learned, we, we learned to talk in code because, <laughs> because, you know, we didn't want people under, you know, hearing what we were talking about. And, and, and sometimes I'll pick up the phone and all I'll hear is bing, bing, bing. <laughs> And, and what that means, we call them ricochet thoughts. Okay, it, this, the thought started this over here and ended up in a picture that I saw 30 years ago. And that's the way my brain works today. So fortunately, how it is today, it, that happens less frequently. Um, you know, I was, I, was, I was single back then. I'm, I've, I've, somebody just reminded me, I'll be married 24 years. Um, I have two kids uh, one that came through the miracle of in vitro, and um, and I have a picture of him at eight cells. Um, one of one of which was dropped into my lap, and you know I, I, I talk about you. Know, I've heard the voice of the, the voice of God in my head twice. Uh, the second time was uh, you know I was we had been called and and by a, a young woman who said she had a we had put the word out that we wanted to adopt. Uh, she said she was pregnant, or her aunt told us that she was pregnant, she was going to deliver in a month, and she was going to have a little boy. Were we interested? And uh, I was praying over my cereal, this, this, this godly prayer, oh, God, show me the way. And I heard God laugh. And he said, of course. And my wife came down to, uh, to breakfast and uh, she said, what do you think? And I said, well, I think we'd be nuts to pass up this opportunity, and I think his name ought to be Andrew. And um, Andrew uh, is in his first year of college. Um, and we have an open adoption. with his. We know his birth mother. My wife sang in her wedding. She went back to college, met a guy. My wife sang in her wedding. We have this total. We, we got a whole other family. So that's how it's gotten better for me. Um, I'm, I'm still crazy. You know, I, I still, the lust has not gone away. It will never go away, but I'm better today than I used to be. And, but I'm, as this guy would say, not as good as I'm going to get. Thanks. My name, excuse me. My name is David. I am a sexaholic and my sobriety date is August 6th. 2nd, 1988, for which I can never be sufficiently grateful. Um, I uh, first encountered It Keeps Getting Better uh, due to Harvey sending me a greeting card that he had gotten from the AA central office uh, on the occasion of my first year of sobriety. And he wrote in that, um, David, I promise you it keeps getting better. And it's a promise you've kept. I, I thank you for that, Harvey. And um, and it's actually uh, in the uh, member stories. It's the title of my story, um, and that's been my experience. It does. I didn't start my own timer. What kind of a person am I? A no, wonderful person. I'll cut it off. I'll I'll stop soon. Um, I did start the timer now, and um, and it has been my experience. One thing that has not gotten better is for the last two weeks before each anniversary, uh, which comes around pretty quickly these days, um, 
it's always, I know it's going to be a rough time. Fine. I don't care. Um, it's just a reminder of what it takes to uh, work this program one day at a time. And I was sitting in the lobby uh, before this session and, and someone was telling me he had uh, 46 or 47 days of sobriety. And I was so impressed because I've never had more than one. Um, and, uh, and I'm always impressed when someone can, uh, put together a whole string of days like that. That's, that's just not on my list of choices. And part of what uh, keeps getting better is that I'm more and more willing just to accept the world the way it is and David the way he is rather than the world the way I fantasize it to be and David the way I sort of imagine he ought to be. Um, and part of getting better for me is learning how to live inside my own skin. And this is not original with me in the least. At the same time, uh, it's been my consistent experience um, over the years. I was also uh, in, in the lobby and related, I can't remember it was the same conversation, the same time frame, um, talking about something that happened to me in November of 1988, when I went to an annual conference that I went to, I was driving alone, listening to AA cassette tapes. Um, some of you don't know what those are, but they used to exist. And, um, and it, was, it was a wonderful trip up and a wonderful trip back. The conference went well. Uh, it was the first time I hadn't uh, gone after the wife of one of my colleagues. Um, that was progress. Um, uh, sobriety seemed to be working. And... Um, on the way back, driving through Illinois, heading back to Nashville, I must have not had the cassette running at that exact moment, and I suddenly realized that I was driving down an interstate alone in a car, and my head was quiet. <coughs> I was so stunned, and even telling the story now, I'm still stunned, because that was nowhere near on my list of choices and yet it was happening, and has happened many times since. And thinking about the topic of this panel, it keeps getting better. Um, I realize, well, one of the things that keeps getting better is uh, the our literature, the A Big Book, 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, our white book, Recovery Continues, uh, Step Into Action, uh, The Real Connection, all of those. Um, I just, they all have this magical quality. Uh, there is some magic left in my life. Because people keep changing the words, you know. I read things in these books that were never there before, and and uh, and I know realistically that's not true. What does keep changing is me, and that's a big part of that keeps me coming back. Is I have no idea what's coming next. Um, what I do know is that I have a program that will uh, walk me through anything, as Mike said just a few minutes ago. And um, I was thinking about step twelve. Um, Having had a spiritual awakening, that's exactly what happens to me over and over again. And I can remember the first time I called Harvey, and I shared something. I have no idea what it was. And he said, David, that's a spiritual awakening. And I was like, whoa. And um, those haven't stopped. They keep happening. Um, as the result of these steps... That's what the step says. The, the the result of the steps is the spiritual awakening. So it's an incentive to keep working the steps. And in my contract, I do 1, 2, and 3 every day, 10, 11, 12 every day, and then uh, 5, 6, 7, 8 uh, get done in different ways um, frequently. And, um, and to practice these principles in all our affairs is what I'm dealing with on a daily 
basis and carrying the message to others. And with that, I've run out of time. So I'm going to stop. I'm Harvey Asher, sexaholic. Um, I couldn't live with myself easily if I didn't tell you that there is a very important person in this room who needed to be up here. I don't know why he's not. And that's Art B. sitting in the back. 30 years, much more than 30. A, a wonderful human being. Beautiful person. We've been talking to each other for over three decades, one day at a time. Look how few of us there are. Don't believe any of this crap. This is a tough program. Most people don't get it. We're just representatives of the miracle that could happen. How we have had to have a spiritual brotherhood, some democratic, Irish, Catholic, South Chicago, who still as tough as could be, and a quiet, polite man like David. And David, this spiritual guy for years, even when he was acting out. (laughs) And Lee, man, when you hear his story, you say, how the hell is he still alive? (laughs) And we've been related for years. And me, this aggressive New York Jew, (laughs) he's had to put up with me for over 30 30, 31, two years and can I tell the story your marriage sure (laughs) can I stop you (laughs) no (laughs) I'm getting better that is progress progress. this guy was a He talks about it, fundamentalist Christian. And he meets finally. I mean, this guy hadn't touched his privates for a decade, almost a decade. He was abstinent for years. And then he gets, meets the woman. He finally meets her. And he says, I can't marry her, though. She's a Methodist minister. And my group doesn't believe in female ministers. And I said, Dave, I'm a little confused. I'm a Jew, you know. Do you, th- do you believe Jesus is your personal Savior? And he said, Yes. And then I said, does she believe Jesus, her personal Savior? And he said, yes. I said, what the fuck's going on here? <laughs> now, I might have exaggerated a little. But, 
this is the kind of insanity we work with. (laughs) For all of us, until we come here and we see each of us is a wave in the ocean. And our God is the ocean, and the wave has a different crest. Mike's looks a little different than mine and mine. But if we look down, we're all made of the same substance, this ocean. We're not the ocean, but we are totally ocean. Once you see that, it has to keep getting better. It gets better. This, we're not who we think we are. And we represent this. People from such different ways, different beliefs. And yet, there's something in the fourth dimension. Thank you. At age 80, who knows how many times I'll be up here, but I enjoy every one of them. <laughs> My name's Lee, and I'm a real sexaholic. <laughs> That's from the big book. I'm a real alcoholic, too. Uh, a real narcotics addict, too. I have a full-blown eating disorder, too, and uh, all of them are severe. I said uh, just about everything I had to say in my last session, but uh, as I said in 1985, uh, I was uh, didn't come home, and my wife discovered me with one of my partners on the floor surrounded by pornography, with needles in my arms and blood running all over everything. And uh, so it never was a question. Uh, Full disclosure happened immediately. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, my life is an absolute remarkable Miracle, even that I'm standing in vertical today, uh, regardless of anything else in my life. I was entirely a self-contained person uh, mentally and physically when I got into this program. I had no idea what it was like to have a connection with another person. And I had been married for 15 years, and I still had no connection with my wife. Uh, But uh, one of the things that happened was, for some strange reason, she goes angry at me, and I don't know why. I've just been acting out and doing things and risking my life and hers all these years, and I didn't connect with her. Why was she mad? So what did I do? I talked to Harvey about it (laughs) day after day after day. And finally he said, Lee, call somebody else. (laughs) (laughs) He said, but I'll tell you one thing I want you to do. And this is the most remarkable thing I was ever told in recovery. And that is, Lee, I want you to find a way 
to tell her every single day that you love her and tell it directly. And out of that, I took up a habit probably 30 years ago now of writing something to my wife every single day. And I have, and and there are, uh, she bought me a spiral notebook finally. I mean, she realized this, and she has saved them all in boxes. And uh, I I can't tell you how many of these things. They're little four-line poems. And she has uh, got thousands of them now. But it, it changed the way I was able to relate to another human being. Uh, I had never related to a human being. It certainly changed her. She gave up her anger, but it changed me. And that has been the core. We have, as it says in the literature, an inability to maintain effective relationships with other people. And I had that in spades. And that said to me, uh, from Harvey, was, uh, I hate to say the voice of God, but, you know, we're conduits. He ain't God, I'll tell you. Uh, Also, I uh, wanted to just piggyback on is that uh, there was a speaking of Judson calling at work. Well, I will tell you, Judson did a lot of things, but he's still crazy. Uh, And when I was at work, uh, Judson called me all the time, but he was traveling all over the world. And my office manager would say, he's on the phone again. Uh, And one day he called me and he says, I'm in Portugal, and I don't know whether to take a nap and take a later flight or to go now and take a nap when I get there. What do you think I should do? And I said, that's Johnson. (laughs) (laughs) My name's Art, and I'm a sexaholic. I'm going to go off message. Uh, Tom invited me to come up here, and I said, I'm going to come up to the front to say one thing, uh, and I, I'm saying it to you, uh, especially you who are precarious in your sobriety. Uh, I've known people who lost their sobriety on the way home from a convention. Yep. Here, I feel safe. I feel supported. Uh, Well, I don't need to try to convince you how wonderful it is. But when I leave for home, uh, I'm not always safe and supported. Uh, I'm blessed in that I'm going to be traveling with a wife uh, with whom I have a wonderful relationship. And we'll stop and get lattes on our way out of town. and, And that will be our communion. But uh, I just want to urge anybody who needs to hear this, 
uh, to to make a call before you leave and check in with someone and tell him or her that you're going to call them when you get home safely. Thank you very much. Thank you. I want to say something else. I'm sorry, that micro. I want to talk about this brotherhood. Many years ago, I got the most hateful email from Australia, the most, from the program, the most anti-Semitic, threatening email from a member of this back then fellowship. And it brought up every primal fear I had. And I picked up the phone and I called Mike and I shared with him my terror and all of a sudden he said, it is Chicago tough man's Irish tough. Don't worry, Harvey. I'll never let them hurt you. I'll take care of you. <laughs> I had waited all my life for someone to say that. This is what we're here for. With everything. Thank you. By the way, I'm glad they didn't follow through on that threat because, you know, I would have kept my promise, but I was a little scared of, you know. How big is this guy? <laughs> I just hoped he didn't have a gun or a knife. Any. That's right. <laughs> I didn't know how to use it. <laughs> Anyways, the first question we're going to answer here when we get ourselves together is, how are you seeing God work in your life today? So I'm going to take that literally uh, under, the, under the auspices of my own personal experience, which is that God works mostly for me. He certainly works through prayer. He certainly works through church. He certainly works through sponsorship. Basically, though, for me, God works through, through people who appear in my life and somehow get my, get my crazy head back on straight. I've had a wonderful convention, but this morning I was a little upset about something. And all of a sudden I realized, I just got to talk to somebody. And I started looking around for someone I knew well enough. And there, and there was Ken, who I, you know, Ken, Ken lives like in the burbs and I'm in the city. So supposedly we're sort of in the same area. <laughs> we only see each other when we go out of town. And uh, I said, Ken, do you have a minute? Something's troubling me. And I told him what was troubling me. And he, and he, and he said, well, I understand. And then he said, you know, you, you've done a lot of good here this weekend. Why don't, why don't you focus on that? Just a simple little moment. Um, and uh, that was God working in my life today. Because I took a deep breath, said a prayer, let go, and got back into the spirit of the convention. Um, my experience of God is that he keeps bringing people into my life who keep changing it for the better. Um, you know, when my dad died in 1982, I was two years sober for, from alcohol to the day. I was not yet sexually sober, but I was dating Kathy at the time, and she was with me at 
two in the morning when we walked into my house and all my other six siblings and my mother were sitting up in the living room at two o'clock in the morning. And I was like, what the heck's going on around here? And my brother told me that uh, my dad had died. And, uh, you know, my mother had some pretty strict rules when Kathy was over. She slept in my sister's room. Well, that night she slept in my room in my bed with me, even though we weren't married. And it was the one of the probably the first time I can ever remember not being interested in sex. Um, I I don't know how to describe this, but my basic feeling was I want to be left totally and completely alone, but for God's sake, please don't leave me. And uh, she sat up with me all night. She never said a word. And six months later, she came driving out to the south side. I told you, we have a mixed marriage, north side and south side, Catholic. And, uh, and uh, she said, we're going on a picnic. And I said, I don't want to go on a picnic. And she said, you don't want to do anything, get in the car. Because I was really, and when my father died, my world just blew up. Um, anyway, she drove me to my father's plot in the cemetery and, and for this picnic. And I said, what the heck are we doing here? And she said, he is not dead. He is risen, which is a quote from one of those Matthew, Mark, Luke, John type guys. I forget which one. <laughs> and um, and um, so we're going to celebrate his, his life. It's different than you, the way you would have wanted it, which is him still around here on planet Earth, but we're going to celebrate his life. And it wasn't long after that that I asked her to marry me. That's God working in my life, is that people come into my life and they convince me till the next time I need to be convinced, which is why I need this program, that I'm worthwhile, that I'm lovable, uh, and, that, and that being here on this planet is, is a gift. And I, by the way, already I've heard so much up here that has helped me, but Lee, uh, the thought about writing your wife every day, I don't know if I can pull it off, and I'm not going to make any promises, but, but I, am, uh, I am so moved by that, and that is so helpful. So anyway, uh, how is God working in your life today, guys? Who wants it next? David? My, no, just, no? Do a question. Or do another question? Yeah, or yeah, do another one? Okay. Yeah. Oh, everybody has their own question? Okay. We have a mediator. <laughs> Heard in an AA meeting, it's not going to get better until it's okay the way it is. Thoughts? <laughs> so, um, you know, after, I, I do have to have some time for rebuttal here about the wedding thing, okay? Uh, <laughs> so, so, uh, so, Ann, you know, we, we were headed towards marriage, and, and it's um, November of 1995, and in it was after Thanksgiving, and Ann said, um, "Am I going to? Is anything going to happen at Christmas time? Because in my tradition, that's that's a common time for people to get engaged." And I said, "Nope, not going to happen." <laughs> and she said, "Thank you, uh, you know." And you know, I, I definitely knew that's where we were going here, but I wasn't I wasn't ready. So, so Christmas comes and goes, and she was fine. Uh, her parents were fine. Her you know, she has three sisters. They were all married. Um, so January rolls around, and it's a couple weeks into January, and I call him up, and I say, you know, February, you know, Valentine's Day is so cliche. 
And he says, David, do not call me again until you're engaged. Click. (laughs) So to make a long story short, it was February 23rd. I didn't succumb to Valentine's Day, but I did ask her to marry me on February the 23rd. It was Sunday, and I remember it well. So... um, so anyway, that's, that's the end of that story. So, you know, um, <clears throat> because of my history in SA, coming in, separated, then divorced, uh, and then single, um, and then, you know, with the help of my sponsor, uh, going through dating, you know, just a totally different approach. You know, we made it up as we went along. And <clears throat> so I, I kind of became known as, you know, the dating guy. So... Uh, just about everybody on this dais here has referred somebody to me at some point in time and over the last 20 some years. And, um, you know, I, I had, uh, sponsored guys in Ireland. I, you know, um, you know, I get every time he's particularly this guy speaks, you know, call David if you're single and you're, and, uh, and so, and, and a number of people, you know, I did a dating talk here during this conference and, and, uh, um, a lot of people, particularly young people. And I, you know, um, one of the way God has worked in my wife, uh, my life through my, my Methodist minister wife is, <laughs> is my awareness that, you know, we're a bunch of old white guys sitting up here. Okay. And I'm so grateful, um, for the people of color and for the women in this room today. Um, I, I need you to be here. I, I am a I am a frightened guy who is afraid of everything, and and you guys have helped me break down those barriers. Uh, you know, Priscilla talked um, prior to this uh, to this session about the fact that uh, all the men and women in my program at the time uh, of our wedding were in our wedding. Um, you know, this guy wrote read the uh, Old Testament passage in our Christian wedding, and. And men and women from this fellowship were our ushers and usherettes. So that's, that's how this program has worked in my life. And, and for those of you who are, um, are single and, um, believe me, I thought that the married people really had it easier than I did. Okay. And I, I carried a, a bit of a chip on my shoulder about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're having sex. Okay. Um, um, but, you know, what we talk about is, um, you know, cultural pressure, uh, some cultures more than others to, to feel like you're in a relationship. What helped me was, was seeing my life in this program one day at a time as an experiment. And, um, you know, I'm an engineer. I'm, I'm an industrial engineer, which another name for them are methods engineers. So the fact that I'm a Methodist now, uh, you know, it just, it, it just all kind of works together. But, uh, and I'm very, you know, I'm, I, you know, I'm very, I have habits that, you know, I follow and things that work for me. Um, I would say, look at this, what, what a great opportunity to be single and sober. And, and, you know, it's, it's this disease that will kill me first. And so if I get, you know, one of the things that Judson and I say to each other just about every day is, you know, if I stay sober today, everything else is going to work out. 
And that's what I would encourage you that are single and wondering what the future is going to be about today or tomorrow. Just stay in today. Stay sober today. And I guarantee you it will all work out. Thanks. The, the question that David handed to me was, what can I do to avoid the low of the emotional drastic change from my high from this incredible weekend? Wow. Good question, huh? Yeah. Uh, I, I started to talk about that when I first sat down. So uh, I'm thinking of a young man who has just come into our group, I think, in, uh, in October, uh, my group back home. And uh, when I get home, I'm going to call him. And I'm going to say to him what I've already said to him face to face. I'm going to say, you inspire me. Uh, this young man came in, and uh, like many of us, he he has he had his struggles, and he grabbed hold of the program. You know, came right out to us. Uh, he's very forthright and honest, and uh, and and shows his vulnerability. And he's got a sponsor, and he's working the steps now. There's nothing more inspiring to me. So I'm going to call him when I get home, and that will help me with the transition. Uh, I know two young women in Georgia. Uh, you got to understand, from my perspective, everybody's young. <laughs> but uh, I know two young women in Georgia and I, I sat in, I was uh, attending at the, the panel on diversity, which was very good. And, uh, and these young women have come into meetings with only men and have both got sober. And one of them has a couple of years of sobriety. And, uh, and they have had their uh, their their sack of rocks, and uh, and they are both making it. Uh, so uh, now I'm telling you, I'm going to call both of them after I get home. Uh, so I've got to carry the message. Uh, the people I sponsor, I sometimes say, "Are you are you calling the newcomers?" Uh, that's that's how I that's how I get back into the real world. Uh, I call the newcomers, and uh, and you know, I have made thousands of phone calls since I first was exposed to this program, and it's still not easy for me. Is there anyone else in here for whom phone calls are not easy? <laughs> Thank you. It's an honest program. So, uh, so I'm going to make. Uh, three phone calls I'm committing to to uh, hundreds of people to make uh, three phone calls, and uh, I think that will help me make the transition. Thank you.
years. Thanks, Art. What could be worse than spending an hour and a half just sitting and listening to other people? It's excruciating for me sometimes. So let's get up. Woo! Let's take some breaths. Ah, let me hear you yell. Ah, okay. I've done my control for the day. <laughs> Let's see what this says. My friend from treatment is relapsing. It almost seems he has given up sobriety. He has had a two suicide attempts. Is there anything I can do? And concerned as a recovering buddy... I'm frequently (coughs) stunned to find people in the fellowship that don't realize they have a fatal disease. Uh, Most people never get it. They never get step one. That this is a disease. It's not. This is not a religious program. This is really a medical program about drug addiction. We happen to shoot up with endorphins, serotonin, dopamine. We don't use needles. (laughs) Some do, but... (laughs) He needed the extra boost. I had it in my fantasies, man. What I could do with those fantasies, the drugs that I could get. And reprogramming is almost impossible from the time we're kids. We've been programmed by religion, culture, country, that we're bad getting good. But once you read the doctor's opinion, which is a basic chapter of all our readings... Why the heck would they have put that chapter before Bill W.'s story? Bill W., the biggest egoist. Can you imagine what he must have felt like when they decided to put something before his story? How did they finally deal with it? They called Bill's story chapter one. And they used Roman Roman numerals for the doctor's opinion. And didn't call it a chapter. (laughs) How can you get step one that you're powerless when we have willpower? It doesn't make sense. We got willpower. And that's what our country and our religion and our parents tell us. No, I have a damaged brain. I am a man who has lost my legs and will never grow new ones. And the miracle is, knowing I have no legs, I've learned to walk and even run. That's the paradox. So trying to convince people they have a disease, I wish you luck. 
And I'm going to say a very not popular thing. Don't get too involved with people in the program. They're your spiritual friends. They're not your relatives. And even your relatives don't get too involved. (laughs) This is a survival program. When a man is drowning, they will drown you with him. You put your hand out. You're there to help. You do whatever you could do. But at some point, you say, and this is what I say when people have come out of their second program or third program, I say to them, they call me thinking I'm going to fix them. And I say to them, do you know how much money you have invested in that treatment? Go call them up. Call your counselor. You have invested a fortune. Have them help you right now. We are not a social service. We are, what's the list? We are not an organization. We're just a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope. And as sex addicts, we have very poor boundaries. Just like we touch everybody's body if we could get a chance. We don't have good boundaries. So we end up getting enmeshed. Addiction relationships, which our fellowship, even though Roy says it over and over, lust, acting out, and dependency relationships, we make believe it doesn't exist. And you could get as drunk on a relationship as you can on anything else. Amen. So, with that happy note, <laughs> if I want to help people, I must protect myself. And isn't it interesting? From what got the What's in the big book? In a vision for you? Kind of hidden. That biblical statement. Love thy neighbor as thyself. It's in there. And I'll end by saying, what do they tell you to do in an airplane? When your kid's sitting next to you, take the mask and put it on first. If you want to sober, help that person sober up. Let him see what you got. Let him want what you got. That's your closest chance for it. Only my opinion. Thank you. All right, we're going to take about two-minute timeout. Oh, we're not. But I will take this time to say, please put your lanyards back at registration. We'll reuse them for future 
uh, conferences. Thank you. And if you go by the hospitality room, there's leftovers. You're welcome to take anything that you find there. Uh, so when you leave here, lanyards there, hospitality over there. My name's Lee, and I'm a real saxaholic. And I really want to thank Harvey for that uplifting message. <laughs> I feel so happy now after hearing him. No, really. I told you last time I talked that I was inspired to do something I would have never done without those words coming from Harvey, and I'm grateful for him. My question that I got, it says, I have been sober for a while. The program told me to do the right thing, and the feelings will follow. My depression only is only getting worse and at and not feeling and my feeling doesn't change even with sponsoring other people i feel like i'm not getting up i feel like not getting up every morning uh, i can only tell you my experience strength and hope um I had uh, this horrible depression uh, beginning at least at age eight. It was a seasonal affective disorder that my mother recognized and said that I had a wintertime and summertime personality. And I grew up thinking that it was just normal to feel that way. And I went through all, all of my life and training and work still having those horrible depressions that would come and go, and then not only in wintertime. I uh, I was sent off to treatment. I got sober from about a half a dozen things, it seems. Uh, but I still had these horrible depressions. You know, I can remember uh, as a physician, I would go see a patient and come back and dictate the note. And I can remember sitting down, and not even being able to speak. My mind was completely blank. I can also remember walking outside and looking at the sky and seeing and feeling only blackness. I can remember feeling that I wanted to die. And... uh I couldn't because of my overwhelming sense of responsibility to the rest of the world who I thought I had to fix. And that continued in recovery. I was sponsoring lots of people. 
I was going to 13 meetings a week sometimes. And yet, I still had these horrible depressions. And 12 years into recovery, I felt just incredibly bad. And finally realized that I had grave emotional and mental disorders. And and I am not a sane man, even without substances. Uh, I was functioning so highly that the first two psychiatrists I saw said I was all right. Uh, So... I had to keep plugging at it. The long and short of it was that I did turn out to have grave emotional and mental disorders, and I was only seeking help when I was depressed. I turned out when I got sane enough to see that I also had delusional manic states and I was asking myself that I thought I was Jesus Uh, I I wasn't practicing Christian but I thought it might be Jesus Uh, I don't know how that works out Uh, but it finally came to me that you know this is not normal thinking Uh, I went into a cracker barrel and I could I told my wife, I said, I'm inside everybody's head here, and I know what they're all thinking, and I know all about their whole lives. Well, you know, that's not normal thinking. And uh, so, as most might have gathered, is that I was actually had a bipolar disorder, and I was going into delusional manias, but I didn't know that. I thought it was the truth, and the only thing I was feeling was the depressions, and the depressions were horrible and long-lived sometimes, but the, the thing after 12, 13 years of sobriety, it came to me that I have something that I'm not going to get fixed within the program itself. You know, we had an old guy in an AA meeting that I used to go to, and he says, there are some things this program won't fix. When I came in here, I was fat. I was bald. I was stupid, and I had athlete's foot. (laughs) He said, I've been here 25 years. I ain't lost no weight. I ain't grown no hair. I'm terminally stupid, and the athlete's foot comes and goes. (laughs) Oh, okay. That's all. Everybody has questions, so I'll run the three-minute timer, and I'll run it on myself. Uh, I'm David. I'm a sexaholic. The question says, the white book says on page 146, often we see our relations 
relational poverty and malfunction began in childhood in a dysfunctional environment after we are... I didn't start my timer again. After I'll stop it early. After we are sober and in recovery for a while, many of us begin to feel the need for looking at and working on this neglected area of our lives. Please explain briefly, I will do that, about your experience with this. What new tools have you used? Um, I One thing, because I happen to have a foot in both camps... Um, is there are places where spiritual recovery, which is what I practice, um, overlaps with therapy, the mental health model. And there are places where they diverge. And, and my experience over the years in terms of new tools is that everything that would happen in the mental health model will eventually happen in spiritual recovery. It's just one happens on the doctor or the therapist schedule, and the other happens on God's schedule. And, um, and, and we frequently, as we say, God, God, please show me what to do, and then God does. And we say, but wait a minute, God, you forgot about this piece of it, uh, this aspect. And, and so we all are in the position of questioning God. But we do the same thing with medical people and, and therapists. And, and, um, and the real thing is to uh, trust that there is a power greater than ourselves, it's not me, that can restore me, us to sanity. And the uh, other new tool that I have to practice every day is that the first, it's not new, the first step, the first word of the steps is we. It's the first word of every one of the 12 steps, as a matter of fact. It's just only spelled out in the first step. And, and whenever I think that the we has changed to an I, I regret that I've gone off on that path yet again, and I just have to come back to we. Um, all the new tools that I use, and they're constantly presented to me, are frequently tools I've used before and then stopped using, and I just get to use them again. With that, I will pass it on. Mike, sexaholic, this question is from uh, the live streaming. What are growth or new awarenesses you've had in long-term sobriety about areas of your life that were unsurrendered or where you weren't practicing the principles? So if I can f- squeeze two in in three minutes, I'll try. The, the first I've talked a lot about, so you can, you can find it, I'm sure, through our good friend Lee. Um, but, uh, you know, I found out that I'm powerless over anger. Uh, I... I'm incapable of being able to predict if I start to talk to you when I'm angry where that conversation will end. Every once in a while, it actually goes well, you know. Um, And I learned that for me, learning to express my anger appropriately was like learning to lust a little bit or drink a little bit. And I've had to learn to just keep my mouth shut. And it's it's an ongoing struggle, but it's getting better and better all the time. And and my wife is greatly appreciative of it, I can tell you that. The other one, though, that uh, I want to mention, because uh, Dave brought it up, um, I live in the most segregated city in the United States of America. And uh, when I was sober about, uh, sexually sober about five years, we moved into a neighborhood, and the realtor said, uh, I asked him what parish the house was in, and the realtor said, well, it's in this parish, but people like you go to that parish, which was which was Chicago code for the white people go east, so don't go in, don't go to the parish where you live. So so we went to the parish where we lived and found this wonderful community. My parish is probably seventy percent Hispanic and twenty percent Filipino, and there's a few of us old whites around. 
And um, we spent the last 30 years making friends with people that normally I would have had very, very little contact with. But even that being the case, um, and my children's friends are, you know, are, are very, whatever the term is, diverse. But um, I still felt, particularly growing up where I did, which was on the border of a, of, of a, a black-white situation that you just didn't cross certain streets and all that stuff, and uh, my parents were very progressive um, people in terms of their involvement in civil rights and all that kind of stuff. But I, I reached a point in my sobriety where I thought, you know, it's one thing to write a check for a, a charity and this and that. It's another thing to actually try to do something. And it's overwhelming. I mean, you, you, how do you change 100 years of history? You don't. So you do something. So a year ago, I, I contacted a place um, in a neighborhood on the south side and started volunteering there. And uh, I only lasted about three months because it was just very, very unorganized. And uh, one day, I was actually kind of laughing at myself. I was, I was in a Chicago Park District Park. Uh, I was probably the only white guy within about tw- 10 miles, and I was watching these kids play basketball, and I'm just the new guy assistant, but the main guy was in the Park District. Uh, oh, God, I'm done already. All right, I, I, let me just finish this story real quick. Anyway, I tried to break up a fight between these two 17-year-old brothers, you know, and I almost got killed in the process. And I thought, uh, this is a little too unorganized for me. So I left that place. But what I did because of my recovery is I talked to my sponsor, and he said, okay, that one didn't work out. Where are you going next? And today I'm mentoring a 13-year-old kid from the south side. I meet with him every two weeks, and we just go on an outing. And uh, we have a great time. And he sent me the sweetest Christmas card telling me what a difference I'd made in his life. And, you know, is that going to change any big, you know, thing in my city? No, but it's a little something I can do. And I mentioned that, I, you know, the one thing if I could do it over again is I'd be a parent again. And I'm not quite a parent, but I'm getting getting to hang around with a young man and, uh, you know, sort of be of use in the service, but actually let him let me feel young again. So... I'm Damon, a recovering sexaholic. Uh, my 17-year-old son struggles with lust for material possessions. Number one, is he a sex addict in the making? <laughs> Two, can I teach him to abandon this type of lust? <laughs> Good luck. Um, um, you know, I, I have two, two, um, two sons. Uh, one's... 19, one's 20, um, my youngest son just went to college and uh, apparently has uh, discovered alcohol. And, you know, I've, I've done, you know, my, my first thing is to, oh, my God, I've, have I failed my children? Um, you know, we don't, we don't drink in our house. Um, it's just a, a personal choice that, that we've made, and, and they're aware of that. And, and I was able to sit down with my, my son. I said, you know, when I was your age, um, I didn't think I had a choice. I, I really thought that I had to drink to be accepted. And so I just want you to know that, you know, it took me, it took me about 30 years to learn that I really didn't have to. Uh, I didn't enjoy it that much anyway. And what I, what I've learned for me personally is that anything that alters my mood is not a good thing for me. Um, that includes caffeine. Um, so, you know, when I got into recovery, I gave up caffeinated drinks because, you know, I found myself, you know, in the afternoon when you get, when you have that, hit that little low, um, 
you know, I was, I was having a diet Pepsi and uh, to get that caffeine rush. And I, I realized anytime I, I go for anything chemical, that's usually not a good, good sign for me. So being the Methodist that I am, I, I eat, at, uh, eat a snack at 10, 2, and 4. And uh, that's on the Dr. Pepper bottle, by, by the way. Um, I have a, a piece of turkey. I have four almonds, not, <laughs> not five, not three. And I have a piece of fruit or a, a, a dish of berries. Uh, you know, we, don't, we talk about recovery being physical, emotional, and spiritual. And we really don't talk about the physical part. But this is something, you know, in the afternoon when I have that swoon, you know, I, 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 at 2 o'clock I eat an apple. Um, a woman that I work with that I hadn't seen in six years, I was uh, in the kitchen area at our workplace washing my apple. She came around the corner to hit the elevator button. And she looked at me. She hadn't seen me in six years. And she said, is it 2 o'clock already? <laughs> so so I, I would say li- live your life. Um, t- tell, tell your son what's important to you. And, um, and remind him about that Christmas when you gave him that toy that he thought was going to make him happy. And about two days later, it's sitting in the corner. So that's what I told my son. Thanks. Art Sexaholic. This is from live streaming. What is the biggest roadblock you see in the people who don't make it? Or the people who don't experience that it keeps getting better? Uh, I'm going to give an unsatisfactory answer to this question uh, because I can't identify the biggest roadblock. Uh, I'll just say, uh, I go to three meetings a week. Uh, I'm sober 34 years. I still go to three meetings a week. Uh, I don't go to three meetings a week so much to uh, keep myself sober. I I do it because it gives me a good life. Uh, I call my sponsor not often enough. Uh, I call other members, especially newcomers. Uh, I pray throughout the day. I have a period of of meditation uh, almost every morning. I know my meditation is, my sponsor tells me my meditation is not, is not doing me the good that it should be doing me. Uh, I do these things, uh, and I work my program every day. It's given me a good life. It's kept me sober. Uh, I, I can't identify one thing. Thank you. By the way, I had a spiritual awakening two seconds ago. I made a prayer. God, I'm powerless over using four-letter words. Help me not do it one day at a time. 
So I'm not going to make an amend for the language I use. As I didn't purposefully want to hurt people. But I'm sick and tired of using four-letter words. And I'm ready for it to be removed one day at a time. So that's it. You know. How many meetings do you attend each week? I... The minimum four. Try to do five. Um, Has this changed over the years? I used to do 21 a week. Mm -hmm. I'm a very sick man. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You don't want to know me if I'm not doing, taking my medication. No one in this room is safe when I'm not taking my medication. I'm an equal opportunity employer. My sponsor over the years had to help me, and he'd teach me, you drop one meeting at a time until you notice you're uncomfortable, And then you go, like, back up two, one or two. No one can tell you this stuff. To thine own self be true. Um, I used to act out with self every couple hours. I need phone calls almost every couple hours. Only exception, I work two full days a week. I don't take them while I'm working. Best that would be cheating my employer. Uh, but other than those two days, I sponsor about 24 people. I get a lot of calls. Uh, lately, I've been limiting when I take those calls. Um, you cannot compare your insides with someone else's outside. I'm probably ADD. I need a lot of sponsors, need a lot of calls. So you just need to be true to yourself and not lie to yourself. And I take it one day at a time. Thank you. My name is Lee. I'm a real sexaholic, and uh, I know I'm long-winded because I talk a lot, but I've got this uh, question. I'm not sure whether we've had it before. It says, my friend from treatment is relapsing. Yeah, that's mine. Huh? You want me to answer that, too? No, I answered that one. Okay. That, is that yours? I've already had that. Okay, I've got one. Yeah, you go ahead. I think Lee's question was different. Oh, it was different? Okay. No, it's the same signature. So here. here okay. No, that's not. See what 30 years does? See, you see what the early meetings used to look like. So that was one of the questions. 30 years ago, in January, we had a conference here. 
many of you are here. Tell us the difference between 30 years ago and today. Wow. Uh, I didn't know where I was 30 years ago. I was not quite like Harvey, but 30 years ago, I was going to 13 meetings a week in three programs. And, uh, it, and I was making calls all day long to fill up my head, just like Harvey said. And I, I really didn't have a grasp for anything except holding on with my nails, trying to stay alive. Uh, the conferences were a big part of that. But as the years have gone on, uh, I'm like Harvey. I finally was so frantic, they had to send me to treatment for too many meetings. <laughs> and that's the truth. My physician shipped me off to an intensive, and they put me on meeting restrictions uh, and uh, service restrictions because I was doing service in three programs, and uh, it was crazy. But today, uh, I am a much uh, more serene person. Uh, I still have a crazy mind sometimes, but not like it was 30 years ago. Uh, I'm retired, uh, and the biggest addiction I have is that I'm the chef in the house, and I cook all day long, but that's a whole lot better than drinking, using, shooting drugs, and uh, lying in the floor. As I said at our talk, I was lying in the floor uh, surrounded by needles, blood, and pornography, and my biggest risk today is to fall in the floor surrounded by pork chops. So <laughs> that's all. I'm still Dave, and I'm s nothing's changed. Um, um, had one last question here. I'm an old-timer, age-wise, who realizes I could have potentially been an old-timer in the program, but I'm just getting started. How do I get past my self-disappointment? And uh, there's, there's a, uh, an old AA saying that just came to mind when I read this. It's, it, it takes what it takes. And, uh, you know, we, we had a gentleman uh, join our Tuesday night meeting um, well into his 80s, and uh, he's embraced this program. And um, his life is better today uh, than it was the day before. And it, and it keeps getting better. So um, join us. Look around. There's a lot of white hair in this room. And I'm so encouraged by you, the younger folks. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for coming. Um, real quickly, just um, 30 years ago, we didn't have a, a trustees and we didn't have delegates. And so we had the business meeting for the fellowship at the international conference. And what I learned, much to my chagrin, is that whoever was, was the chairperson of, of the conference got to run the business meeting. And we got a lot of intelligent people here. That's the problem. That, that uh, yes. <laughs> and they all knew Robert's rules of order, and I did not. And they were 
bringing up motions, calling the questions, I was ready to pee my pants. And, uh, and we were crazy. You think we're crazy now, 30 years ago, we, we couldn't be in the same room with each other. I mean, there were factions. Uh, it was unbelievable. But uh, God has a wonderful sense of humor because we're still alive. We're still laughing. Um, and it works because we work it. Thanks. I'm David Sexaholic. Um, I'd like to say a, a couple things. First of all, I thought 30 years ago we were in this hotel. It was the Holiday Inn. And, um, and one thing, I, I happened to be running the literature table for that conference. Um, and what I remember, first of all, the previous April when we started planning for the 1990, January 90 meeting, um, Harvey looked around the room. We were sitting in a really small room uh, where we were. And there were maybe 10 or 12 of us there. And Harvey looked around the room and said, you know, most of us won't be here by the time the conference comes around. So let's be sure to plan it with that in mind. Um, and uh, in fact, most of the people were around. Uh, and yet that was exactly the right spirit to approach it in. It's God's program, not David's program or Harvey's program or any of us. Uh, secondly, I was uh, running the literature table, and we were selling the white book for the first time. Uh, that exi- the new format. I mean, the, what we have now, and um, and then a year later, where we had recovery continues, and and just to see the transformation in the resources that are available to us in thirty years, uh, to say nothing of this uh, crew of overly intelligent people sitting around together, um, and. Um, and as I think I mentioned the other night, um, I just heard this week from uh, Gene, who um, is the contributor to not only SA in Nashville, but also to For Never Sufficiently Grateful. And, uh, and it's just a reminder that even though people may not be with us physically, uh, their impact is still with us. And that's always with me on 30 years. And there's one question here. I'll just read it really quickly. What do you suggest to a newcomer who doesn't want to feel he is at the bottom of the barrel? Um, my favorite definition of bottoming out is when we stop digging the hole and we can have that um, choice to make any day we wish. And uh, we can also pick up the shovel and start digging again. Uh, I just don't recommend it. Um, we're in our last few minutes. I don't know if anybody has anything they want to add uh, before we quit. Yeah, I guess I do. I just want, I, I've, I've said it before, but I want to say it again. Thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you, fellowship. Thank you, friends that I know and friends that I don't know yet. And thanks to these guys up here. I don't know Lee all that well. We've met a few times, but, but uh, I've gotten so much from what he had to say today. And these other guys I've known for 30 years. And, uh, you know, we've we've all grown together, we've fought together, but mostly we've connected and, and, and helped each other, and uh, it's a great blessing. That's it. Let's give this guy I've been like a kid in a candy shop. I've, you know, I just keep going up to people and saying, hey, who else is wonderful to hear from, you know? So I did it from a, uh, 
to save myself <laughs> and to make sure that there's always somebody there for the next sexaholic. I was so grateful when there was somebody at the door when I walked in. I didn't have another door to go to. I think somebody said it earlier. It's the it's not the last house on the row, but it's the shack behind the last house on the row. There's really nothing after it. That's how I felt. And there was somebody there. And because of that, I'm here today. So thank you all for sharing and for making this conference fantastic. We really appreciate it. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.